Father, I want to thank you in Jesus' name as I just step out of the way and let the Holy Spirit of God flow through me and speak through me in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father, that we do have ears to hear, we do have eyes to see, and we do have a heart that discerns what the Holy Spirit of God is saying and doing in this very hour. Father, there's no greater desire in my heart than to tell people how good my daddy is and how good my Jesus is, how sweet the Holy Spirit is. I have no other ambition in life other than to propagate that wonderful message that you're a good, good father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a few weeks ago, I began a series that I'm calling Our Inheritance. The heartbeat of this series is to break and to reveal. To break the chains of religion off of our minds and to reveal the rich inheritance that our Heavenly Father has given us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Too many believers are bound by religion and the traditions of men. That ball and chain must go. Jesus did not come to put more chains on us. He came to break every chain. We sang about it this morning, to break every single chain. And what I've seen, it's only through the continuous feeding on the extravagant love of God and through the unbroken revelation of His ever-increasing grace that empowers believers to forsake and to abandon these old mindsets. You see, when you got saved, you had an operating software that you came in with. Your spirit man got brand new. He was totally born over and born again. But the mindsets are renewed as we take in the truths of God. Does that make sense to you? Today, with the help of the Lord, I want to minister the fifth message from this series, a message that I'm calling God's Breath in Man. And what I want you to see through this message today is this. The richest inheritance that we possess is not silver and gold. It's not property and possessions. It is the very breath of God. His name is Jesus, the man with open arms. Friends, the breath that God breathed into our spirits the day we said yes to Jesus, I want you to know something. It changed everything. The Bible says we became a new creation. His breath changed our identity, and His breath changed our inheritance. We are the beneficiaries now of the richest inheritance known to man. The word inheritance comes from the root word inherit. Now, when you think of inheritance, what comes to your mind? Is it money? Is it property? Is it possessions? <laughs> the biblical definition of the word inherit might surprise you. It's deeper than we would ever think, and it's much more meaningful. It's more than just acquiring stuff. See, we think of inheritance, we think of acquiring stuff. I don't need more stuff. I need Jesus. Stuff we can store away in drawers at home. Stuff we can give away. I don't need more stuff. I need Jesus. Every year at Christmas time, there's a movie that comes on from Hallmark. Because my wife likes Hallmark, I become the recipient of Hallmark. But it's called A Christmas Visitor. But the story is about a husband and wife whose son John dies in the war. And he dies at Christmas time. And so for years, year after year after year, they don't celebrate Christmas. There's no Christmas presents. There's no Christmas music in their house. There's no Christmas tree. There's no Christmas cookies. There's no Christmas lights. There's no Christmas anything. And after this goes on for year after year after year, finally the husband says, 
I think it's time to start celebrating Christmas again. So he goes out and he gets a tree. And along the way, he runs into a man we call the Christmas visitor. Now, the doctrine is not exactly perfect, but you know how to sort things when you're watching things, right? Because essentially what it is, is their son that they lost comes home to visit them. He becomes the Christmas visitor. And one of my favorite scenes in that movie is when the daddy, who doesn't have a revelation that this man essentially is his son, he happens to go out into the shop, his workshop one day, with this Christmas visitor. And the Christmas visitor, it begins to engage him about his son and his family. And finally, the daddy walks over to a box, a very ornate box that he made in his workshop. And he brings it over to the Christmas visitor and he opens it up and it's all the memorabilia of his son. There's his medals, there's his ribbons. And he says to the Christmas visitor, he says, we gave our country our son. They gave us stuff. And as I was thinking about that again, I thought, God, that is so true about you. You gave this country and every country in the world your son. And we gave you stuff. We gave him our shame. We gave him our guilt. We gave him our pain. We gave him our loneliness. We gave him our fear. We gave him our condemnation. We gave him our sin. We gave him a bunch of stuff. But the mentality in the church today at large is, I'm going to give God everything so that he will give me stuff. No, God's already gave you his son. I'm not interested in stuff. The word inherit first surfaces in the book of Genesis through the heartwarming narrative of God pursuing a man by the name of Abram. A man that lived hundreds of years before the Mosaic Covenant was introduced. Now, why is that important to know that? It's important to know that because, as I've said before, our relationship with God is patterned after Abraham's. Not Moses's, not Elijah's, Abraham's covenant. And you see how that carries over into Romans, into the third chapter and the fourth chapter. The Apostle Paul spends great details talking about how we have the same covenant of faith and we're declared righteous by faith alone. And so we have a similar covenant. It was patterned again like after Abraham's. And so then I'm not under a covenant of performance. I can truly stand and say, my chains are gone. I've been set free. I can truly stand and say, break every chain. You've already done it, Lord. And I can walk and live in this victory every moment of every day. Not just when I come to church for two hours on Sunday, but all the time. The name Abram was given to him by his father, Terah, T-E-R-A-H. Now you would think, man, a godly man like Abraham, man, he must have had a godly lineage. Well, he did, but not everybody, kind of like your family, kind of like my family, but in Jesus' name, we declare they are all coming into the revelation of God's goodness and God's grace, and we're going to have a great and godly lineage as we move forward in the generations. Terah, the Bible says, was an idolatrous man. He was a man that worshipped many gods. They called him a polytheist. He believed in many, many gods. As I was thinking about that, as I was studying for this message, there were two scriptures that came to my mind that explain why our country is in the condition that it's in. Two scriptures in particular. There's more, but two that really bore witness with my heart. When I say the condition we're in, where I'm talking about since Roe versus Wade, we've slaughtered over 50 million babies. I don't, I'm not happy about that, friends. Over 50 million innocent lives have been taken that we even know about. I'm not happy that people are walking into classrooms and into churches and into police departments and all over and taking the lives of innocent people. That disturbs me. It really does. 
In Psalm chapter 14, verse 1, the Bible says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Let me tell you how ridiculous that is. That is like looking at a painting on the wall and saying there's no artist. The very fact that there's a painting is proof that there was someone who painted it. That's like looking at a car and saying there was no automaker. Well, the car is the evidence. That's like looking at an apple and saying there was no apple tree. And to look at a man and say there was no maker is just absolutely crazy and foolish. So the question becomes, where does this ideology come from? Well, there are millions of people in homes across the world who will tell their kids that. Son, there is no God. They live lives that are ungodly. They just say, by their own lives, they try to prove that there is no God. But there is a God. We need to teach our children that there is a God and that that God loves you with all of his heart. The reason children grow up and adopt these crazy ideologies is because from a child, they have not known the scriptures or their parents have not modeled love and the grace of Jesus. Paul was writing to Timothy, and in 2 Timothy, he said this, Steve. He said, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. The word child doesn't mean a little boy or a little girl. It literally means an infant. He said, and that from a child, because Timothy's mother would have been singing those old gospel hymns over him. Timothy's mother would have been quoting, and his grandmother too, Lois and Eunice, they would have been quoting those, that word of God over him. This is how important it is for us to speak to our children and our grandchildren and tell them about the things of God. And that from a child, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, watch what he says, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Then he says, all Scripture is given given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, that is to show you what is right. For reproof, that is to show you what is not right. For correction, that's to show you how to make it right. And for instruction in righteousness, that is to show you how God keeps it right. That the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Friends, America's in the trouble she's in because parents simply have not taken responsibility. Many of them have not, but many of them have. I tucked my little nine-year-old grandson in bed last night. My wife and I went to babysit Sarah and Jason's children, and we had a wonderful time with them. And when it came time to tuck him in, as I always do, I tucked him in. And as I was just kind of laying next to him, we were about this far away from each other, looking at each other, his big old eyes looking at mine, my little eyes looking at his as the night was getting late. I just began to minister to this little boy. Typically, I play around with him, and I, but the Lord said, just go into a time of ministry. And so we did, and I just told him about our Nicaragua trip and how God had did all these wonderful miracles in Nicaragua. And Keith looked at me and said, you know, Bumpa, when I grow up, I'm going to be a preacher. This is not the first time he said it. He has said this before. I said, I know, Keith, and it's only, I believe, by the Spirit of God that you can say something like that. And I said, you'll be a great preacher, Tato. You're going to be an awesome man of God because you've got the heart of a pastor and a, and a preacher. And he looked at me and he said, Bumpa, he said, my mama really sings good, doesn't she? I said, yes, she does, Tato. I said, but you know what? Let me tell you something. God is the one that gave her the gift to be able to sing like that. You see, when I look at our grandchildren, what I see is I see parents that have taken responsibility. They live this life. They safeguard their children. They don't let them watch all the violence on television. They don't let them watch all the sexual things on television and hear all that stuff. They safeguard them. They protect them from those things. And what God is able to do, he's able to do this work in their heart to craft them into what he's called them to be. That's the responsibility we're supposed to take. 
In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, you can see right there, here's the other thing. It says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. There's a lot of people that will say, you know what, when it comes to spiritual things, just do what you believe, whatever you feel is right. Do whatever your gut instinct tells you to do. No, there is one God. You say, you really believe that other people can... Yeah, there's people that believe in many gods, and there's people that believe that there's many ways to one God. Friends, Jesus himself just got through saying, there is one God, there's one daddy, and there's one mediator between my daddy and you. It's me, the man, Christ Jesus. I want to tell you something. If we would take those two beliefs and foster them into our children, friends, you would see a generation of children grow up. And that's all we're doing. We're dealing with children that have grown up without the things of God, and they're angry. Quite frankly, they're angry. Like Joyce Meyer always says, hurting people hurt people. That's all that's going on. When you see all this stuff, it's just hurting people, hurting people. Abram was nothing like his father, Terah. He was a man after the heart of God. Abram's name is spelled with four Hebrew letters. I want you to take a look at this. Hebrew always reads from right to left. You have the letters Aleph, Bet, Resh, and Mem. His name, Abram, it translates as exalted father. The name Abram is a masculine name. It's an honorable name. It wouldn't surprise me if it was on a movie theater marquee. Abram, exalted father. But the reality is, the name must have lacked something or God would not have changed his name from Abram to Abraham. The difference between Abram and Abraham is ha. It's the breath of God. Ha. You can't say ha without breathing out something. That's the difference between Abram and Abraham. In Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 4, we find these words. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Now let's just stop right there for just a moment. I want you to make note of how old Abraham was. He was 99 years old when the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blameless. Names, numbers, details are very important in the Word of God, as I've said before. The number nine represents completeness. Not only does he have one nine, but he has two nines. So, I mean, God, it's like when Jesus in the New Testament would say, verily, verily, I say unto you. It would be something that would really drive home. It would be like us using exclamation points. It's to create emphasis. Jesus was crucified at the ninth hour. He died at three o'clock in the afternoon. It was the ninth hour, the Bible says. You know what? He didn't die at four, and he didn't die at two. He didn't die at 310. He didn't die at 250. The Bible says he died at the ninth hour. I believe if we could have seen a clock, I believe it would have been that second hand, literally tick, 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 and the breath would have went out of Jesus. The Bible says he died at the ninth hour. He didn't die one minute before, and he didn't die one minute after. He died right at the right time when it, everything was complete. When I think about the gifts of the Spirit, you've got the gift of wisdom, you have the gift of knowledge, you have the gift of tongues, you have the gift of interpretation, you have the gift of discernment, you have the gift of miracles. There are nine gifts. There are not ten. We didn't need tenth one or God would have put it in there. We couldn't get by with eight or he wouldn't have given us nine. There are nine gifts of the Spirit. In other words, he's saying, listen, this is complete. This is what you need. 
There are nine fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, faithfulness, self-control. We didn't need ten or we would have had a tenth one. We couldn't have got by with eight or he would have given us eight. There are nine gifts. So you can see through Scripture how he has threaded all this together for us to have a, a broader picture. Otherwise, really, why tell us? Really? So these details in the Bible are to get us hungry so that we would go looking for deeper truths and whatnot in the Bible. It says that Abram was 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and blameless. Then he says, then I will make my covenant between me and you, and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you, you will be the father of many nations. Here's what I heard in my spirit a couple of days ago when I was looking at this. I felt the Lord say to me, Triumphant Grace Ministry will be the father of many nations. Does that bear witness in your heart? What I'm saying is, I'm saying that this message of grace, this message that we stand for in the finished work, will go out as a father to many nations. In other words, it will go to places that have not heard this message before, and it will be as though the Father has said, this really has been my desire all along. I thought the Lord say, this ministry will be the father of many nations. You say, wait a minute now, Mark. <laughs> You're saying, wait a minute now. We're in, the, we're in the same room we started with two and a half years ago. It's 600 square feet. I want to remind you, Abraham was 99 years old when his ministry began. Jesus was 33. There is an appointed time for everything under the sun. Years ago, we used to sing this song at the former church we were at because the song came out back then. It was called You Said. might not recognize the title of the song, but maybe you'll recognize the chorus. It says, You said, Ask and I'll give the nations to you, O Lord. That's the cry of my heart. Distant shores and the islands will see your light as it rises in us. I want you to think about what I just said there for a second. Distant shores. And when I was at work this past week, as God was communicating that song to my heart, I hadn't thought about that song in years, and I actually grabbed a piece of paper and a pen, and I wrote down, I said, Father, I want the nations. I want the distant shores. I want those islands. I want to reach them with this gospel of grace. I want to reach them with this gospel of your love. And I just hear the Lord saying, you will. I wrote on that paper, distant shores and islands are mine. That's a bold request, isn't it? You say, Pastor Mark, big request. We got a big God. Your request will never get bigger than our God will. You say, is a request like that even biblical to ask for something like that? Psalm chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father, or you are my daughter. Today I become your father. He says, ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. It is biblical. He says, ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. I think sometimes we think too small. Probably why Abram got a name change. Let's look at his name change. In Genesis chapter 17, verses 5 through 7, we see where this name change took place. He says, No longer will you be called Abram, for your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I, I really like that part. Kings will come from you. 
Not just princes, not just paupers, but kings will come from you. People with authority, people that understand kingdom authority. And then he says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant. Friends, you know, isn't that what we talk about all the time? We talk about this eternal salvation that we have with Christ. We talk about this everlasting covenant. Way back in the Old Testament, God was looking at a man named Abram, changed his name to Abraham, and he says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Did you notice that God did not scrap Abram's entire name, he just inserted one additional Hebrew letter into Abraham's name. You say, wait a minute, there was two letters. No, there's just one, because in the earliest Hebrew writings, they didn't use vowels for the most part. It was just consonants that they would use. And so what God did is he took the letter He, and he inserted it into Abraham's name between the letters Resh and Mem. Take a look at this now. Here's the name change. Abram, Aleph, Bet, Resh, Mem. Abraham, Aleph, Bet, Resh, He, Mem. God has just changed Abram to Abraham. He's just changed his name from exalted father to the father of many nations. I want you to make note of what the He looks like. It's man with raised arms man with outstretched arms. That is what the he symbol of the early Hebrew looked like. He translates as breath. And you can hear the guttural sound that you make when you do he. You can tell it's the breath from the deep. He, it comes from the deep when one says he. Can you feel the exhaled breath? The Hebrew letter is also, I want you to see this, the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Top right, reading from right to left, aleph, Bet, Gamel, Dalet, Hey. Do you see the Hey there? Do you think that's just a coincidence that it happens to be the fifth letter of the alphabet? You remember what the number five is for? <laughs> it means grace. I don't think this is a coincidence. And that it's a man with outstretched arms, I don't think that's a coincidence. When I began to see some of these things over the weekend, I'm like, God, that is so cool. Oh, man. I would say to my wife, I said, boy, I feel like I'm wasting time because I'm in the office and I'm studying, but I get caught in these little things like this, and I just I sit there and I meditate on it for an hour or something like that, and pretty soon I'm like, i got to get back to studying the Word. But it's just so awesome. When God inserted hay into the man Abraham, it produced life. Abram was 99 years old when he got the name change. Remember that? And when Abraham was 100 is when the promised son, Isaac, came. In other words, I believe almost instantly Sarah got pregnant. It was just sometime very, very shortly after that. Very shortly. But when you take Hey, the man with outstretched arms, the grace man, and you insert it to, into anyone married with faith, Abraham's the, the, the father of faith, you know what it does? It produces life. Isaac, the promised child, was born the following year. That's what happens when you consummate grace and faith together. Genesis chapter 21, verse 5. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Remember, his identity was changed at age 99, and it produced Isaac, the promised inheritance. Isaac is a type of Christ. You see, Isaac was our shadow. Christ is the substance. Let me show you the substance of Christ, though, in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 22. 
Now what you're seeing here is Jesus has been resurrected. He's already died. He's already been buried. He's already been resurrected. And it says these words, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Friends, that's God's breath in man. That's exactly what Jesus was saying there. Let me give you God's breath. Receive the Holy Spirit. The Greek word used here for Jesus breathing on his disciples is the Greek word emphusao. What I really like about this word here is that it is used nowhere else in the New Testament. Although the New Testament talks about breath and breathing and breathe, that word is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. It is for that occasion alone when Jesus breathed on him and said, receive the Holy Spirit, receive daddy's breath, receive daddy's spirit. What I like about this is when you look at the Septuagint, the Septuagint really is the Greek Bible that took the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. They said, let's translate this Old Testament into Greek. That's the Septuagint, okay? And so what they did is when they came to this scripture right here, they're like, we've got to find a place in the Bible that this will make sense. And what they did is they went all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when the Bible says this right here, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That is the word, that word breathe right there, as they said, it's got to line up with that word right there. So Jesus wasn't just randomly drawing words. He was pointing them all the way back to his daddy when daddy made the first man, Adam. Abram's name change to Abraham is the type and shadow of God's breath in man that ultimately will come through the cross and the person of Jesus Christ. The name Abram is made from the Hebrew letters Aleph, Bet, Resh, Mem. Look at these letters in their order. Aleph, Bet, Resh, Mem. Now we're reading from right to left. Literally what it, Aleph means is God. Bet means family. Resh means man. And Mem means water. Now God says, I want to insert that other letter that was missing, that letter He. Look at Abraham now. Aleph, Bet, Resh, He, Mem. God, family, man. And the word He, the letter He, literally means breath or man with arms raised, living water. How important is this that God's family with man would come through His breath through a man with outstretched, raised arms. And when Jesus talked about water, friends, he didn't talk about water as plain water. He always talked about water as living water. When he encountered the woman at the well, he said to her, if you understood, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, you see Jesus talk about this living water again. It says, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, watch what he says, let him come unto me and drink, for out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believeth on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. What did Jesus say? He said, out of his belly shall flow 
rivers of living water. Friends, that is not our belly. That's Jesus' belly. That's the Holy Spirit's belly. That's God's belly. He said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Do you want to know why Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit? All he was doing is what he watched his daddy do way back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when he breathed in the man. Jesus said, I don't do anything I don't see my daddy do first. I don't say anything I don't hear my daddy say first. He said, I saw my daddy do this. I saw my daddy take a lump of clay and breathe his breath into the nostrils of a hunk of clay, and I watched that clay get up and walk. You know, I mean, here's the spiritual thing of the thing. The disciples are already alive, right? They're not laying there like Adam was originally. They're alive, but they were spiritually dead. And Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, man. Abram's name, as perfect as it seemed, lacked something. It contained God. It contained family. It contained man. It contained water. But the man with the raised arms was missing. Do you see that? Friends, I want to tell you something. It's when God and man and the man with raised arms and living water come together, it produces a family. Adam's body, it was a perfect body, but do you know what it lacked? It lacked the breath of God. It lacked the grace, man. It lacked the breath of God. And when God breathed it into the man, he stood up and he said, Father, he already had an IQ that had been downloaded into him. He didn't have to go to school. He already knew everything. God had downloaded everything inside of the man. And he got up and he could walk. You know, I mean, you know, listen, babies go through these stages, don't they? They crawl, they roll over, they crawl. I don't forget all the stages. Now, it's been a while. I know they roll over first and then they get on their knees and wobble back and forth with a bobblehead and then they start crawling and then, then they walk and they hold themselves up and then they start running and all this stuff. But Adam just stood up, a living soul, and said, Daddy! Daddy! Maybe my mind just getting a little carried away. You know, that's the, just the way I talk to my father in heaven. I call him daddy, and I play with my daddy, and my daddy plays with me, and my daddy loves me. We have a good time together. Going everywhere together. My daddy is always with me. He always wants to go with me. He never says, no, son, no, I'm going to stay home this time. You know, last night I went with my wife. My wife was the only one scheduled to go and babysit last night. I was going to stay home and be spiritual and work on the message. And I said, forget that. I'm going because I want to be with my wife and I want to be with my grandchildren. How much more does our Father want to be with us? How much more does our Jesus want to be with us? Oh, man. I thought about this. The law is definitely perfect. The Bible even says the law is perfect, converting the soul. But do you know what the law lacks? It lacks life. It lacks the breath of life. There's no breath of life in the law. It lacks life. There's nobody living in the law to bring life to you. You know what's missing in the law? The man with raised arms. God basically said, Abram, or exalted father, your name is too small for what I have in mind for you and the generations to come. You know, it's almost like God would have been saying, you know what, Abram, this name just doesn't fit you, right? I mean, it's okay, but it just doesn't fit who you are, Abram. I believe Abram would have been screaming at the top of the lung going, no, no, daddy, the problem is my name is already too big. Please don't make it any bigger. Friends, I want to say this, and I've said it before. The size of our church is not an accurate representation of where God is taking this ministry in the future. Distant shores and the islands will see his love as it rises from us. God wanted to make Abram the father of many nations. And Abram is just saying, God, can you just help me out with just one kid? I mean, just one boy. 
you know, he's got this mentality that's it's so small. It's like when my kids would come home from college or from the army or wherever they would come home from to visit, they'd finally get around to asking that question. And, and here's the way they would ask it sometimes. Dad, can you help a broke college student out with a little gas? Listen, I'd say, absolutely. we go down to the gas station and they'd start pumping in and they'd get around $10 and they'd be, they'd be like, I'm like, fill the thing, fill the thing. You got to think bigger of your daddy's son. So that never, never ever did I go, hey, I'd put five or $10 in that son, fill it to the brim. That's how our daddy is. He's a good father. He wants to fill us till it's overflowing. Not your gas tank, of course, but God is a very big God. And Abraham is just basically saying, can you just help me out with one son? God is about to supersize Abram's thinking. We were watching Jesse Duplantis the other day, my wife and I. We don't catch him very often, but we caught him this day. He's got a, a 10-year-old granddaughter named Meredith. Meredith spent the night with them here recently. And when they all woke up in the morning after uh, Jesse's wife, Kathy, had fixed them breakfast, Jesse's like, okay, Meredith, what do you want to do today? She thought about it for a second. She said, well, I want to go to the mall, grandfather. She calls him grandfather. I want to go to the mall. There's a Disney store in the mall. Meredith is going up and down the aisles, and Jesse stepped up to the clerk and looked at the clerk and said, how much inventory is in this entire store? What would be the value of this inventory? She said, about 200000 and he looked at her and he said, if my granddaughter decides she wants it all, it is hers. You can just pack up and go home early today, okay? And he meant it. And he told Meredith, anything you want, you, you take whatever you want. Your grandfather's rich. Your grandfather wants to bless you. And so she was going up and down the aisles and stuff like this. Pretty soon she only has four things in her hand. That's about all she can really think that she really wants. I mean, the whole store is hers. She's got four things. And while Jesse is standing there at the counter, there's another mother that walks up with her son, her 10, 11-year-old son, and she's hearing Jesse say this. And Jesse looks at this woman and her son, and he says to the boy, whatever you want, son, you can have. And the mother says, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, we don't take charity. No, ma'am, listen, huh? whatever he wants, he can have. No, we don't take charity from you know, people we don't know and stuff like that. And finally, the 10-year-old boy speaks up and he says, Mom, the man is just trying to bless us. <laughs> That's what God has been trying to do all this time is just bless people, but we're thinking so small. And Abram is thinking so small. He's just saying, oh, just, just give me one, one little boy. See, all throughout life, Abram's been called by a name that paints a picture every time it is spoken. Because like I said, the Hebrew letters and the Hebrew words all have pictures associated with them. And so every time he hears the name Abram, he's here an exalted father. Except here's the problem. Abram's now in his 20s, no children. He moves over into his 30s, no children. His 40s, no children. No 50s, no children. 60s, no children. 70s, no children. It isn't until he's 86 years old that he finally forces it to happen and he births an Ishmael. It was not the promised child. It wasn't the child. God said, this is the one I picked for you. This is the one that I will make you into a large nation from. But he finally forces God's hand. As I thought about that, can you imagine the embarrassment? And can you imagine the confusion? And can you imagine the harassment and the ridicule of being called by a name that does not fit you? Exalted father, but no children? Let me tell you something, friends. Satan is still doing that to believers today. One of his oldest trickeries is simply this, is to call you by a name that does not fit you. 
to put a label on you that does not fit you. And that's why it's so important for us to know what our true identity is and what our true inheritance is. Satan calls us poor. God says you're rich. Satan calls us sick. God says, no, you're healed. Satan calls us lost. God says, no, you're redeemed. Satan says you're ugly when you look in the mirror. And God says you're beautiful. In fact, he said, beautiful are the feet of those that take the gospel to the nations. Satan calls you weak. God says, no, you're a mighty man of God. Satan calls you defeated. God says you're more than a conqueror. Satan says you're guilty. God says you're justified and declared righteous in my sight. Satan says you are cursed. God says, no, sir, you are blessed. Satan says, you are rejected. And God says, no, you are accepted in the beloved. Praise his name. My wife just preached about that last week. Accepted in the beloved. You cannot buy into those names that you hear rolling around in your noggin. You are none of those things. God, listen, that list could go on and on and on. I could get off on a real tangent there. But I'm telling you, God calls you blessed. We got to start thinking larger than we've ever thought before. That's what Abraham is. He's the man of faith. Friends, if there was just one reason to read the Bible, we ought to read it just for that reason to see what God calls us in there. He calls us some wonderful names. Abram is called exalted father, and yet he is childless. It doesn't seem to fit him, does it? A couple of two or three things that I learned from reading the story as I kept going over it and over it that really grabbed my attention were the timeless truths, number one, of the everlasting covenant that God had with Abram, a type and shadow of the covenant that you and I possess today called the gospel. We've got the gospel, the good news. And the way that we enter into this covenant has not changed. It is by faith alone, not by works. Abraham's material riches were just a type and shadow of our inner riches. Meditate on that for a moment. The guy was so blessed, it was just crazy. I mean, even when he did wrong, kings wanted to bless him. Pharaohs wanted to bless him, give him stuff. So it wasn't based on his performance. It was based on the covenant that God had with him. And every time Abraham lied, the kings would say, listen, man, you got to go, man. You lied, man. You brought all these curses upon us and stuff like that. But I'll tell you, before you leave, I'm going to bless you with this. I'm going to give you all this stuff. And Abraham just gladly went like, okay, I'll take it. We have those same inner riches on the inside of us. I'm not looking for material things, material stuff. I've already got the richest inheritance living on the inside of me. It's the man with the outstretched arms. It's Jesus. It's that man that we call (laughs) the breath of life. In Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 12, we find these words. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit, there's that word, inherit, my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children. Man, that's bold, isn't it? I mean, to stand in front of God and say, you have given me no children, so a servant in my own household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is in your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. You ever try to count stars? I've tried to do that before. You start counting them and stuff like that, and you try to kind of section them off. Just when you think you got them, you kind of move a little bit, and now you can't remember if you counted that one or not. You can't count the stars. 
In fact, with the telescopes that we've got today, they can't count them because every time they think they got them all counted, they see a black hole and they say, man, there's a whole new galaxy out there of stars. He's saying, listen, nobody's going to be able to figure this out for you. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur and the Kasdin to give thee this land to inherit it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will inherit it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer. This is really amazing, isn't it? He's not saying just bring me a contract. God's got something in mind that's bigger than a contract, and it's a covenant. Covenants are always more powerful than contracts. You can break contracts, you can't break covenants. He says, bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all of these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Now watch what it says. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. So God is about to cut a covenant with Abraham, and God says, I'm going to actually have to put you to sleep on this one, Abraham. See, Abraham didn't just get sleepy. I mean, this, this would have been something you wouldn't fall asleep at, buddy. <laughs> you wouldn't have fallen asleep at this event. So this was an orchestrated sleepiness by God. Abraham fell asleep. Now let's look at verses 17 and 18. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. That's so important. I know I've touched on this before. I want you to see this. You have meat that's cut in two. And the way covenants were done in those days is the two parties that were making covenants would pass between the altars, if you will. They wouldn't have to shake hands like we do today. They wouldn't have to sign anything in the way. Just by the fact that they walked past each other through that cut meat would cut the covenant. The covenant we have, of course, much better covenant. The Bible says we have a covenant made without hands. You have to use hands to cut meat, friends. We have a covenant that's been cut in our hearts by Jesus, okay? And so it says in there, which I think is so awesome, it says a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch. You know who this is? This is just imagery of God and his son Jesus walking past each other, cutting the covenant, and just saying, the covenant's going to be between me and you, son. Abram's sleeping. I will never break this covenant with you, son. And the son was saying, Daddy, I'll never break this covenant with you either. And again, we can carry all this over into our covenant in the New Testament and see how powerful this is. Back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 7. He says this, And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur and the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. I love this. The Hebrew word that God used for inherit is the word Yaresh. Yaresh. Do you see what the definition of it is? It's to occupy by driving out previous tenants and possessing in their place. I just felt the Lord say this. You know, listen, when I saved you, Mark, I didn't just sweep things out and leave it vacant. See, I had a tenant living on the inside of me at one time, and his name was Satan. We all followed him at one time. He lived on the inside of me. But when God said, here, you're going to inherit eternal life, that word inherit comes from the Hebrew word yoresh, which literally means God drove out the previous tenant, and he possessed us in the place of that. 
so that the tenant couldn't come back. You can't have bitter water and fresh water in the same stream. And God isn't going anywhere. Isn't that beautiful? Yaresh. It means to drive out the old tenant, and that's precisely what God did. I want you to see how awesome this is, though, as I'm winding down. In Mark chapter 15, verses 33 through 37, it says this, And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Remember, I said Jesus died at the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi! Eloi! Lema! Sabachthani! Which is interpreted, My God! My God! Why have you forsaken me? Does it say that Jesus cried that out? Does it say, do you see the word cried? Jesus cried that out. My God, my God. He cried it out in Aramaic. Eloi, Eloi, Lema, Sabachthani. And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elijah. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Leave him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. Watch this now. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and breathed his last breath. In Mark 15, 34, the Bible says, And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lema, Sabachthani. It means to shout for help or in a tumultuous way. It is the Greek word ba'ao. That's the first place he used it. Now, three verses later, he uses that same word cried again. It's the same English word, but it's a totally different Greek word. This is why I'm telling you it's so powerful to look at the Hebrew, look at the Greek, because we would think, okay, he cried there in verse 34. He cried again in verse 37. Totally different word. It says, and Jesus cried with a loud voice and breathed his last breath. And that word there is the Greek word athiami. Athiami. It means to forgive. It means to let go. It means to let alone. It means to let be. And so when we compare these two verses together, the same English word is used, but they're totally two different Greek words. And I think it's important because we have to understand this is the last breath of Jesus. And it said, Jesus cried out. In fact, I don't even think it was with words. It was with just his heart. Ah, ah. You can just hear him crying as his life is coming and going, ebbing and flowing. And the Bible says he cried out. Now to understand how important that word is, because it literally means to forgive. That word cried is the Greek word, aphiemi. It means to forgive. Let's look at Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is something he said from the cross. Father, forgive them. That is the same word that's hidden under that word, cried. It's the same word, the same Greek word. So you can see the heartbeat of Jesus. He's saying, Father, forgive them. That's what's on my heart. This is why I came. This is why I bled. This is why I died. Forgive them, Father. I don't make any apologies for getting passionate. I'm just passionate about what he's done for me. I'm so thankful for what he's done for me. Romans chapter 4, verse 7. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven. 
ah, they, ah, me. Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. It's the same word Jesus cried at that last breath that he exhaled. And then in John chapter 11, verse 44, we see the story of Lazarus, a man named Lazarus. And it says this, And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto him, Loose him, and let him go. That word let right there is Alpha Amy. It means, Father, forgive them, let them go. Lazarus was just a picture in the natural of what God wanted to do in the spiritual. Oh man, friends, my Bible tells me that for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Embedded, encoded beneath that last breath was the cry of, Father, forgive them. Father, loose them. Father, let them go. Friends, in his dying breath, Jesus said, Daddy, forgive them. Daddy, loose them. Daddy, let them go. Daddy, it is finished. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have the greatest, the greatest gift to man living on the inside of us. It is Jesus, the man with open arms. He is the breath in man. Father, I just want to thank you for this word in Jesus' name. Father, you are just so awesome in Jesus' name. I see your goodness threaded throughout Scripture. And Father, it gets my attention and it gets my heart. Daddy, I think you hid things on purpose like this so that the Bible says it's up to a king to search out the matters. And Father, we've searched just below the surface and we find there's more treasures than we can pick. (laughs) Oh, Daddy, thank you in Jesus' name. I want to thank you that you're establishing our heart in the goodness of the Lord, in the finished work of the cross, and in the grace of the man who loved me enough to stretch out his arms and say, I want to give you God's breath in man. In Jesus' name, amen.